Hey everyone, Michael Gore here, and thank you for tuning in to the initial podcast of the Michael Gore Podcast. Today we have Mark Deshark Irwin, who is a local professional fighter with bare knuckle, coming in today. He's going to talk about his mindset and what it takes to be a professional fighter and share his stories of what he's overcome in his life and the beliefs and mentality he has before going into every fight. Once again, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. All right, Mark, thanks for stopping by, man. Welcome to my first ever podcast, actually. So I want to thank you for putting yourself out there and coming in and sharing your story. And, you know, can't wait to get into it with you, man. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm flattered and honored <laughs> to be the very first guest yeah. on your podcast. Should so, an uh, NFT or something. <laughs> yeah. We'll be rich, dude. When you retire, get out of here. Yeah. So uh, where are you at these days? Uh, right now, I am living and training in Huntington Beach, California, Surf City. Okay. And uh, what drew you to Huntington? Uh, well, I moved there uh, recently this summer, and it's a great place to be as far as uh, training for combat sports. It has some of the best gyms, training partners, coaches mm -hmm. available in Orange County and Southern California. So it's kind of like a mecca for combat sports, if you will. Okay, and when we were talking, and we're going to get into your backstory a little bit, but we were just talking before we started. Um, what was your aspiration from coming out of Huntington Beach? Definitely, I definitely aspire to be uh, one of the next great fighters coming out of Huntington Beach, California. Uh, there's a long lineage of, you know, legends coming out of the city. Uh, I was fortunate enough, actually, I worked for UFC gym for like seven, eight years, okay. and uh, had the opportunity to kind of be mentored uh, and learn from Razor Rob McCullough. Okay. The, inaugural WEC welterweight champion of the world. Oh, wow. Yeah, shout out to Razor Rob. Awesome. Uh, so I got to work with him for a long time and learn from him. And uh, he's definitely an idol of mine, you know, to name one of many. Uh, Tito Ortiz, the Huntington Beach bad right. boy. Of course. Right. Um, you know, uh, shoot, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Tank Abbott. Oh, yeah, wow, yeah. One I haven't of the heard that name in a long OG. time. OG. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, one of the OGs. I didn't OG. know he was from Huntington. Yeah, bro. Oh, okay. He was a, a Huntington Beach street legend. Really? There are stories about him for sure. You know, um, yeah, I won't, I, won't, I won't speak on him, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, okay. he, he was one of my original favorites uh, growing up watching UFC. He was. In every one of his fights, somebody was going to sleep, guaranteed. Yep. It, it might have been him. Right. A lot of times it was the other dude, but someone was getting slept in a Tank Abbott fight. Yeah, so. I remember watching some of those clips, too, especially younger. I remember Tank Abbott. So, yeah, um, big old just yeah, just, brick just house. Brawler, just a brawler. You <laughs> For know? sure. Um, so what, what, um, what kind of got you into boxing? Was it the UFC gym or you always been a fan of? Well, first, let's talk about kind of where you're at in, in your career right now. Yeah. So Absolutely. if you want to share, like, I know that you're in bare knuckle fighting is your main, uh, what would be the name, like arena or name, main, like, uh, yeah, yeah. circuit so, or like, what would you call that? Absolutely. So I am a bare knuckle fighting championships, uh, athlete. Okay. I just made my debut on, uh, the BKFC Wichita card, uh, on October 23rd. Congrats, by the way. Thank you, sir. Yeah. yeah. I won by uh, knockout. I had, uh, in the second round. Um, and I'm hoping to come back here in the first quarter of 2022. Okay. Um, I'm also an undefeated professional boxer. Okay. Um, I'm 2-0 with one knockout uh, in gloved boxing. And I was a two-time, two-weight division California State 
boxing tournament champion with USA Boxing as an amateur. So this goes back, you and fighting goes back a long way. I've been doing it for about a decade now, but I actually started pretty late, believe it or not. Okay. Um, I actually grew up as a fan of the sport of boxing, watching it uh, as a kid with my dad. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I remember exactly the first fight we ever watched. I was like five years old, and my dad was like, hey, do you want to watch the greatest fight of all time? And I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah. So we watched it. It was uh, Thomas the Hitman Hearns versus Marvelous Marvin Hagler, April 15th, 1985, Caesars Palace. The fight is called The War. It's a three-round fight, and it's just epic savagery between two world champion, you know, future Hall of Famers. Right. Uh, great fight. I was completely blown away by it, and uh, I was, like, obsessed with boxing. Since that point? Since that point. And my dad had this really cool collection of VHS tapes that were all labeled and dated. Oh, wow. With the names of the fighters, the dates that they fought, and, like, you know, the tapes would have... Anywhere from like one to like three or four fights on each one. Absolutely. And I used to just plug them in the VCR player and watch them all the time. So Marvelous Marvin was my favorite. Okay. I would watch all his fights. Uh, I liked uh, Mike Tyson a lot. I was born June 27, 1988. And that was okay. the day that Tyson knocked out Spinks in 91 seconds to become the lineal champion of the world. So I used to like to watch that fight when I was a kid all the time because I thought there was something uh, cool about that coincidence. Um, so they were definitely, uh, big inspirations of mine, uh, like as a fan, right. Started watching UFC in high school and became a big fan of that as well, but actually didn't play sports at all in high school. Okay. Uh, as a kid, I was kind of a late bloomer and I was a bad athlete. And so I didn't <laughs> like playing sports. Right. I cried, so I didn't have to play triple A baseball. Okay. And I remember, I, I can still hear my mom like yelling at my dad. She's like, he's not playing Tom. He's not playing. Your dad, I'm sure, like, no, he's yeah. playing. He committed, right? And I yeah, didn't yeah. play. You know okay. what I mean? I was, a I was a bad athlete. I didn't like sports. Um, in high school, like I said, I didn't play any sports. I didn't work out. I cut class and drank and smoked pot with my friends and yeah. got in trouble. And um, it wasn't until after high school I was, like, you know, chubby and uh, just... I wasn't happy, and uh, I started working out. I started running. Okay. And I hated running, but I didn't want to be fat anymore, mm -hmm. so I just kept doing it, and uh, I started getting better at it. I would do it every day. I would run this, like, loop behind my house, uh -huh. and it showed, like, every quarter-mile marker, and so I know how far I'm going. And after a couple months, like, you know, because I'd jog and then walk and jog and walk. After a couple months, I was doing the whole thing, and then I was doing a couple laps, and I remember after like three or four months, like having this sort of like transition where I was starting to like it. I was like, oh, well, this is enjoyable. Like I like the way it makes me feel. It doesn't uh, suck so much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, I started getting that runner's high right. type of thing, uh -huh. right? And uh, I lost a bunch of weight and uh, started getting really good at running. Around what age was this? About 18, 19 years okay. old. 18, 19, okay. And I became like the Forrest Gump of <laughs> South Orange County. I just run like 10, 15 miles a day. Oh, wow. I got really crazy with it. Oh, wow. And then uh, it was at that point I started like lifting weights and getting into other types of exercise. Um, I started, I was going to school at Saddleback College and I tried out for the track and field team. Okay. And uh, competed uh, on their 15 and uh, 3,000 meter races. Yeah, so I did that and I was okay. I wasn't like a great runner, right. you know, competitively. Um, 
But it sounds like you found something for you. Like yeah. Beyond, beyond like the accolades, right? You found something for you is what it sounds like. For sure. And I, I like doing it, you know. Um, but uh, it wasn't – running competitively wasn't my thing so much. Right. So, uh, you know, after, after doing that, I was kind of looking for the next thing. Right. And uh, I had some friends that were taking boxing lessons in a garage from uh, a friend of ours. They're like, hey, why don't you come along? I think you'd like it. I think you'd like it. Yeah. You should try it. And I was like, ah, all right, fine. One day I finally went. And uh, my friends had been doing it for, I don't know, maybe like six to nine months, something like that. And uh, I beat up all my friends on like the first day. <laughs> and I was okay. like, oh, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah, right? there might be something here, right? Yeah. And so I started training regularly. Uh, and I was having a lot of fun doing that. And uh, after a couple months, I got the idea like, hey, why don't I do an amateur fight just for fun? Like a right. bucket list thing. Uh-huh. It'll be funny when I'm older or whatever. Right. And like, I think I can knock somebody out. Yeah. You know, so... We started training with that as the intention and the goal, and I had my first amateur fight within about a year of training. I fought at the Old Dogs Boxing Show in Costa Mesa, California, and I won by a third round knockout. Okay. Yeah. So and that, that built some built some belief in there, huh? Yeah, and I had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. You know? And then um, I got offered a job just teaching like classes on the weekend at LA Boxing back okay. in the day. Shout out okay. to LA Boxing. Wow. And uh, so I did it, you know, just on the weekends on the side, like mm-hmm. as an opportunity really to like train for free and, right. you know, cause it'd be fun. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm working at LA boxing and people are like, well, you should keep boxing because now you're like a boxing coach. You should right. keep getting your experience and everything else. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So I keep boxing and competing and winning fights. And, uh, you know, I, uh, ended up winning a couple state tournaments. Like I mentioned, I won the SoCal state men's division 141 pounds in 2017 and 152 pounds in 2018 and how many fights are like in that tournament so it's a three-day tournament uh single elimination so you show up on friday you weigh in if you win you do the same thing on saturday you win you do the same thing on sunday you win you get the belt is that is that common still like those many fights in that many days in a row yeah yeah absolutely the national tournaments can be even more they can be like four or five fights in a week yeah oh wow usa boxing can be hectic for sure but, uh, and that was a great experience for me. That definitely gave me a lot of confidence. Right. You know, that like I can show up and beat all these guys back to back to back and, mm-hmm. you know, and then to do it again. Um, but ultimately, um, after I won it in 2018, uh, I decided, I, you know, I wasn't going to keep competing in the amateurs forever and uh, I didn't want to turn professional. So I decided to like retire, if you will, from. Uh, competition okay and I was working full-time as a coach USA boxing coach and I started getting into officiating started like judging refereeing that sort of thing um, because I wanted to still be involved in the sport and find an avenue where I could have like a positive influence and effect on it Um, you know I love boxing and combat sports as a whole but it's definitely notorious for corruption and you know BS and things like that bad decisions Uh, and so I wanted to be able to get involved and use my experience and my knowledge to like be a good judge, be a good referee, be a good official and have a positive influence on the fighters and fighter safety and outcomes and everything else. Were you thinking more like being like a mentor or something at this point? 
Like, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, quite frankly, and it still is an aspiration of right. mine one day, but I would like to uh, I would like to referee and judge world championship title fights in boxing and mixed martial arts. I okay. think that would be rad, and I think I would be good at it. Um, like I said, working with USA Boxing, I did 20 shows as a judge. Okay. Uh, I worked some big tournaments, um, and it was a great experience. Uh, I also did one California State Athletic Commission-sponsored event. That was a lot of fun as well. Um, and I was enjoying that, but ultimately I kind of started to get the itch again, right? Yeah. It always comes back. It yeah. always does. I can't get away from it for too long. So I get the itch and I, uh, I get back into training and then sh shortly thereafter the pandemic starts, right? Mm -hmm. So gyms are supposed to be right. shut down and yeah. there's no fights going on right. in, uh, California or the States or anywhere really. Um, so I was like, all right, screw it. I'm going to go pro. And uh, me and Coach Bobby, shout out to Bobby's Boxing, uh, best boxing gym in South Orange County. Hey, hey. Yeah. Me and Coach Bobby started going down to Tijuana and getting me fights down there. Okay. Yeah. I remember I remember the first one you posted on Instagram. That I was like, man, just look at this guy. I'm meeting you at Restore, you know, and then just seeing you going down there, man. I was just, I was inspired, you know. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I'm flattered. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I had a couple fights down in TJ. I went two and zero with one knockout, and then um, I was uh, watching YouTube one day, and I started watching bare knuckle fighting, and I probably watched like five or six <laughs> fights in a row, right? Okay. And I was like, I could beat a bunch of these guys. Okay. So you were just watching it and watching the fights, you know, and just doing some homework and just kind of looking at it and seeing yeah. what you could do and. Well, it just kind of started watching it by yeah. accident, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. You yeah. know what I mean? And then it, YouTube is just like, hey, here's another one. Right, right. Here's you, another you one. You just go down the rabbit hole, and you don't stop until... Yeah. 100%. So I watch a bunch of these, and I was like, dude, I could beat most of these guys. Like, yeah. I'm not not being cocky. I might not be able to beat all these guys right now, right. but I can beat a lot of these guys. You had, you had some belief. You had some belief in yourself that you could do something. Absolutely. And then uh, I remember I told my dad, I was like... You know, he, he's like my best friend and okay. uh, a mentor for sure, and we're real close. And uh, so I told him, I was like, I was like, hey, what? Well, just kind of mess around. Yeah. Like, what would you say if I told you I wanted to do bare knuckle fighting? And uh, he, I thought he was going to, like, you know, advise against it yeah. for sure. But surprisingly, he's like, ah, if you want to do it, do it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that kind of surprised me, right? Mm -hmm. The next day, I see on my phone that they're having open tryouts. For bare knuckle fighting championships the next day the very next day so do you feel that was like a sign like synchronistic from you know a great universe. Power, like universe you know that hey maybe i should try this out let's give it a shot 100 percent. okay so I mean, I, that's pretty fast one day turnaround for that to show up is is pretty remarkable and again we're in the middle of a pandemic right. like, like i was just like fuck it yeah you know what i mean and uh so i bought a plane ticket and i flew I had about two weeks before it was gonna the event was gonna take place, right? So I had about two weeks to train. I was coming off the couch because I had an injury, so I was fat and out of shape. But I trained hard for two weeks, try and get as sharp as I could. Flew three thousand miles to Tampa, took uh, an Uber thirty miles from Tampa to Plant City, where the tryouts were. Uh -huh. hundred people signed up, fifty people showed up. I think they ended up giving out like five contracts. Okay. from that group and I ended up winning one of them nice yeah so I was signed and uh, flew back to California I was excited about that 
Uh, I attended the event in Birmingham, Alabama, okay. uh, where some Smith Brothers uh, combat sports guys were fighting and competing on the event. Uh, so I went to support them, uh, including Lorenzo Hunt, who just won the uh, light heavyweight title. I saw that for BKFC. Mm-hmm. I actually been following more BKFCs. I've been like, you know, I was since we started talking, you're gonna do this podcast. I was kind of looking up and just researching it more. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, man. And you got this. Um, there's a trainer I follow, uh, Daru Strong, I believe. Okay. Um, and he trains. Um, who's the heavyweight uh, guy from Puerto Rico, I believe. Heavyweight from Puerto Rico and BKFC. I yeah, I think he's a heavyweight from Puerto Rico. Uh, okay. Um, I know a lot of guys are training out in Puerto Rico for BKFC okay. right now. Okay. For sure. But I'm not sure exactly. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It's all good. It's, yeah. But it's a wild sport, for yeah. sure. It's definitely, it's madness. What's like the difference between, because you've done glove boxing and bare knuckle. What do you feel is the biggest difference? A lot of differences. Definitely uh, the speed and the pace of the fight is much faster Okay. in bare knuckle fighting as opposed to glove boxing. Um, Why do you think that is? Well, for one, you don't have a weight on your arm right. slowing your, like the speed of the punches come out a lot faster, mm-hmm. right? So it's like bullets flying in there as opposed to having an eight ounce, you know, you got half a pound right. weight on each hand. Right. Now you don't. Um, not having the gloves definitely makes the pain of the punches tenfold. That's what I was imagining. It's kind of like playing rugby and football or football, right? You don't have a helmet, you don't have pads. So I feel like you move a little bit different. Everything's a little bit different because when you get hit, it's a lot different. Yeah. And not only getting hit, but landing shots. Every punch Mm. I land hurts me. Right. Right. You feel it. Oof. Like, you know, when you're landing good shots because you're getting that feedback on your knuckles and it's not nice. They told us heading into the fight, you know, in the fighter meetings and things like that, as soon as it's over, go see the doctor. Your hands are going to be swollen. They want to check and see if they're broken, and you're probably going to be cut, so you're going to need to get stitched. Okay. And sure enough, after my (laughs) debut, I won, right, like I said, by second round knockout. I didn't get hit by too many shots, but nonetheless, my right hand was badly swollen. I was injured going into the fight. Uh, So I expected to have problems with it. I didn't hit anything for the last two weeks of my training camp in the lead up to my bare knuckle debut. You had a hand injury or? Correct. I had a large protrusion on the top of it that I didn't get it examined by a doctor, but I had some massage therapists and things like that work on it. Some people suggested it might be what's called a bone boss or just like a a bone growth. Okay. Or maybe just uh, some of the structures got moved around, but they didn't think it was broken. So I just taped it up real tight. Right going into that thing and uh, I was mentally prepared like if it breaks it breaks right I'm gonna keep throwing it mm-hmm. and I'm gonna win the fight and I'll deal with the broken hand when it's over do you feel like that preparation is kind of what gets you to every step every fight like that mentality sure absolutely you know, like, you think that's the driving thing like more than your training is the belief that no matter what happens I'm gonna finish this thing absolutely uh, the mental aspect of it is just as if not more important than anything. Obviously, you have to train right. properly. You have to be in physical condition. You have to be physically hardened, uh, you know, in order to be able to sustain the abuse. Right. But ultimately, it it's all mental. Yeah, it's all belief. Yeah. That's what it seems like. Like, you came in that fight knowing no matter what happens to this hand, I'm going to finish this fight. And I don't think 
if you didn't talk to yourself and make that agreement with yourself without anyone else telling you anything, you know, I, I mean, you can tell me, but do you think that fight would have ended differently if you didn't have that conversation? A hundred percent. And I'm really big on, I call it like hypnosis. I okay. hypnotize myself. Right. I, uh, I'll have mantras and things like mm -hmm. that and I'll say them over and over and over. I had one for this fight. I wrote it down. I memorized it. I probably said it a million times. Kind of forgotten it now. It was something. <laughs> it was something along the lines of, and I'll probably butcher it a little bit, and it probably sounds crazy too. But I would tell myself this over and over during training camp. I'd say, uh, to the very ends of the earth, to the very depths of hell and back, there is no place I will not go. There is nothing that I will not do. No surrender. No retreat. With my shield or upon it. Um, There's probably something right. else, but something something crazy along those lines, and I'd say that to myself every day when I'm working out, yeah. in between sessions, when I'm thinking about the fight, when I'm visualizing the fight, uh, when I'm walking out to the ring, when I'm getting in the ring, I'm saying this over and over and over right. until it becomes like this core belief, mm -hmm. and there is no other thought, or like it doesn't matter what happens in there. Like I said, I was prepared to break this. Right. Fortunately, I didn't break it. Uh -huh. They said it's not broken. Most of the swelling has gone down. I should be back to full contact in another week or two and getting ready for my next fight. I had six stitches uh, that's healing up nicely, so that's on the mend. And, uh, you know, I'm in great shape. I'm already back in the gym lifting weights, running, shadow boxing, uh, you know, doing all my conditioning, working on uh, getting stronger and faster, all those things, uh, and gearing up so that I can be a better version of myself. In the next one yeah no that's that's amazing man like when you talk about that mantra like what I hear you know from from you is like you didn't have like this thought in your brain of how this fights gonna go you just controlled what you could and you you memorized something and it sounded like you memorized a feeling more than a thought really like you said words but it sounds like you memorized the feeling so much that no matter even if you died you're gonna die happy you're gonna die on that that's shield that you said you know and, and that's to me, that's the real power, you know, that we all have. And especially, I can't imagine, like, being a, you know, professional fighter. You know, I feel like you got to have that mentality, you know. And what do you, do you feel like a lot of people have that mentality in fighting? Is that how you would, like, if you would go against an opponent, do you feel that mentality without even saying anything? Like, what, what do you, what do you kind of experience subconsciously, you know, in a fight or, you know, seeing an opponent before you fight him? There's definitely tangible uh, qualities and properties mm -hmm. that you can kind of uh, take away from, you know, that like face to face and things like that. And you can feel people's energy right in there. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And um, I think, you know, to answer your question, the, the farther you go, the deeper you go into, and that's for any sport, but especially combat sports, I think the more that becomes the case, you know, because the farther you go, the badder they are. So, you know, right. it, it's a more select group of individuals that are more highly skilled, more highly athletic, and more highly determined. Right. Um, you know, and uh, whereas, you know, at the more entry levels of the right. sport, you know, those guys kind of get weeded out. Right. So I don't think that everybody has that mentality, but I think when you get to the deep end of the pool, I think just about everybody does. Everyone has that, right. you know. And that's what it takes to get there, yeah. right? So, um, you know, no disrespect to any of my opponents, of but 
the reason why I'm an undefeated professional and they're not is that reason is because I make that agreement with myself and I, I have these conversations with myself. Mm. I'm very big on visualization and the mental component and the emotional component of fighting right. as well as the physical training. So I spend a lot of time thinking about my fight. I'll picture my opponent. I'll sit there and I'll close my eyes and I'll, I'll think about everything. I'll think right. about every single detail. I'll imagine my walkout. I'll imagine me getting into the ring. Mm -hmm. I'll do my box breathing techniques when I'm in there. <sighs> right, which right, I, right. I, I take from yoga. I'm big right. on that. Okay. Is that um, like a seven, seven type of breathing? Yeah, I'll do, it, I'll do it as long as I can. Right. Right, but yeah, six and six, or seven, six, 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 or seven, 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 right. whatever it is, eight, eight, Bring eight, the eight, eight. Double out, six, six, nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, so I'll picture all these things in my mind. I'll picture uh, the announcer, Jeff Houston, Mr. Live Worldwide, doing the announcements. Mm -hmm. And in the red corner, fighting out of Huntington Beach, California, Mark, the shark, Irwin. Um, I'll picture coming up to the scratch line and uh, shaking hands with my opponent before the fight, which we did. I'll picture the bell ringing and then I'll picture all the exchanges. And I'll try to imagine every which way it could go right? right like me doing well me having a flawless victory right uh me having a tough fight right me being in bad spots i think that's important me working myself out of those bad mm. situations maybe yeah. i get hit maybe i get hurt maybe yeah. i get knocked down what are you gonna do you're gonna get back up right you're gonna shake it out you'll take as much time as you are allowed if you need it and then you'll go you know i'll work through all these things right so that if and when it happens in the fight, I'm not surprised. I'm. It's not the first time I've contemplated these things. I have a plan of action. Right. You know. Do you feel like that was actually leading? I was asking another question: Is do you feel like since you visualize, like from my experience in doing these type of things in my own life, do you feel that you create a feeling from what your mantra is, from your visualization? And that no matter what happens in that fight, when you get hit, it's almost like, okay, can I still hold that feeling? Can I still hold that memorization to where I'm going to find my way out of it? I'm going to work my way out of it. Because that's what it sounds like you're creating is a feeling that you memorized of the future. No matter what happens, you're going to be successful one way or the other. For sure. Does that seem like what happens if you get hit or something like that? And then you're like, nope, I'm still going to find my way out of it. You have like this um, awareness that you kind of built before the fight. Absolutely. You know? Um and, uh, you know, I think having strong emotional uh, qualities is important for a fighter, but also learning how to control and manage those emotions. And quite frankly, uh, one thing I always tell myself, it's uh, like a, you know, a little euphemism or catchphrase that I, I always tell myself and I tell others too, you know, at the gym and whatnot, um, fuck your feelings. Feelings aren't facts. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I might not feel like going to work, right. but I gotta go or I'm probably gonna get in trouble. Yeah. You know what I mean? I might not feel like sticking to my diet when yeah. I'm in training camp, but I have to. Because if I don't, I won't make weight or I'm not gonna perform the way I want to. So how I feel is, uh, it does not matter. It's a moot point. Right. What only matters is what I do. Right, right. Right, so trying to sometimes remove my feelings from the situation because you know, I've had a number of fights. Sometimes I can't wait to get out there. You know, I couldn't be more excited. Sometimes you don't want to make that walk, right? right. Or, and it's true for everyone. Right. Not everyone might admit it, but it's true. You know, sometimes it's easier than others. But, you know, at the end of the day, 
doesn't matter how you feel. You have to go out there and you have to execute. And you have to right. perform. Yep. So I, I tell myself that all the time. It, it's all the more beneficial when you are feeling good and you, right. you do want to go out there. And for, you know, I think I was fortunate for my BKFC debut. I've never been more confident, calm, collected, mm. or excited to go out there and perform and execute. And I feel like I had the best performance of my career to date. And I uh, couldn't be more excited for what the future holds in respect to my uh, professional fighting career. Yeah, I'm excited to see what's what happens, man. I've been following you now for a little bit and just, you know, hopefully um, just see you continue, man. And just, I love hearing your story. I love hearing the, to me, I really am interested in like the internal battles because I feel that's, you know, the most important parts of what you do in your life, what your actions, you know, so your internal battles, those internal conversations that, you know, I think a lot of people have those they don't go to the like, okay, well, what's going to happen if I get hit, if I get knocked out? Because everyone wants to just envision winning, but they don't have when you get hit, when you get knocked down, what are you going to do? You know, to get back up and get all angry or something? No, you like what it sounds like is like we all create an emotional awareness. You create an emotional awareness of like, nope, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to figure it out. Nope, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to figure it out. You know, and I think that's the most important part for a lot of people's lives, especially a combat sport, you know, so... Absolutely, and you know, if you know, if you watch my fight, you know I did get knocked down mm -hmm. in that fight, right? It kind of actually went exactly as I pictured it. I came out and uh, I told you know the commentators, Sean Wheelock, Chris Lights Out Lytle, I told them in the pre-fight interviews, I'm gonna, I think I'm the better boxer. I'm gonna come out fast. I'm gonna move forward behind my jab, and I'm gonna mm -hmm. throw straighter, sharper punches than this guy. I'm gonna beat him down the middle, and uh, that's exactly what I started doing. I was able to drop him early in round one with a straight right hand to the chin. Uh, flash knockdown, he was able to recover and get back up. We're going back and forth. I'm starting to get a little bit cocky. The, the commentators are saying as much. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I got hit on the back of the head by a big looping overhand shot. Mm -hmm. I actually got clubbed by his forearm okay. on the top and the back of my head. Now this is not a legal right. striking zone. Uh, the punch was not like the the illegal blow was not intentional, right. so it's not like a malicious foul. Mm -hmm. But um, it that was what knocked me down, and so I popped right back up. You know, it was a flash knockdown for me. I wasn't hurt. I started arguing my case with the referee. He hit me on the back of the head. It's not a knockdown. He hit me on the back of the head. He said, "You slipped into the punch, therefore it was your fault." I'm calling it a knockdown. You know, being <laughs> being an official myself, I don't agree with the call. Right. Respectfully, you know, no yeah. disrespect to uh, the referee, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, he made the call. So that was that. Okay. So the knockdowns are a wash now. But again, I was in that situation. I got knocked down. What right. did I do? I popped right back up, and I started arguing with the referee right away. That wasn't a knockdown. That's you should, it's not a point. I don't because you lose a point when right. you get knocked down. Mm -hmm. So I was arguing to not lose that extra point that I scored from my knockdown. Right. Um, I ended up winning the round 10-9 because the knockdowns cancel each other out. Went into the second round. I could see my opponent was very fatigued. He was sitting on a stool, breathing very heavily. Um, in my fights, we like to go no stool between the rounds. Okay. Is um, that a choice you made? Uh, Coach Bobby <laughs> always uh, insists, and uh, he's the general, so what he says goes. So we, we do no stool, you know, okay. which is fine. We do, there's no stool in sparring. You don't use right. a stool in training, mm -hmm. so why are we going to do it differently in competition? For one, right, the mental, psychological component of it. I don't need no stool. You need a stool, exactly. you're tired, go ahead and take a seat. I'm going to stay exactly. standing. Yep. So I, you know, I'm standing, screaming at my opponent, Hey, you look tired. 
I'm just getting started. So you, you felt you felt something and you decided I'm gonna use this. Yeah, and then uh, came out round two, dropped him twice more. Yeah, it was a left uh, uppercut was one of them, right? Yeah, the uh, the first knockdown we were fighting in the clinch and he tried to escape and separate, so he started to circle outward. I threw a left Call, I call it a 45. It's okay. not quite a left hook. It's not right. quite an uppercut. It comes on a 45-degree angle, and that's yep. the, the liver punch. I threw it. He was circling out. I caught him on the solar plexus with it, which in, it hurt him. He I saw him drop, yeah. started to crumple. I reloaded, and I threw the same punch to the head, and I caught him uh, on the chin, and uh, that dropped him. He was able to beat the count. He got back up, and then uh, we started to fight in the clinch again. Again, he didn't like it in there with me, so he separated. I closed the gap. He was in a southpaw stance, and he threw a lazy right jab. I split his right jab with my right cross. He was leaning into it, coming in with that jab. It landed right on his chin. and uh, So you're a little top-heavy with the jab. Yeah, and yeah. I ended up knocking him out. His mouthpiece comes out. He, was, he couldn't find the mouthpiece. He's concussed. Right. He can't beat the count. That's it. Knockout victory. So it went pretty much exactly as I imagined it, actually. Yeah. Uh, all the components of it. Do you feel like you could imagine like a perfect fight? It'd be a perfect fight. <laughs> you know, like what are your powers here, man? Like, I have yet to have a, a flawless victory. Everyone yeah. wants to come out and have a one punch knockout. Of course. In bare knuckle fighting, it's a lot more likely. Right, because. Because there's no gloves, yeah. it's a lot easier for sure. Yeah. So. Maybe one day I will get that that one punch yeah. flawless victory yeah. KO, but uh, to this point it is yet to materialize. But I do yeah. think about it sometimes. Do you do? Okay. Absolutely. Like I said, I, I picture every scenario, right, good, right. bad, ugly, and in in between. So. Do you feel like because you picture that if it did happen, you'd be like this is exactly how I, like it would happen exactly how you pictured it, and you don't know when or how, of course, but it would happen exactly how you pictured it because that's your visualization process. Yeah, I think. And do you find that, how eerie do you find that? Like, what do you think about that? <laughs> so, you know, I've been having this experience quite often lately, and I think eerie is a good word for it. Um, but a lot of the things that I've been visualizing in my mind's eye have been manifesting themselves in the physical world. Um, right. And sometimes just to the letter. Uh, and it has been very odd and unusual and surreal to say the least. Um, it's, you, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're okay. Do you feel like you found a formula there? I don't know. What I don't you know. Found? What did you I, find? I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far because I'm a rockhead, bro. I fight people <laughs> bare knuckle for money. You know yeah, what I mean? Man. I'm not, uh, you know, a philosopher or. Who knows, man? <laughs> you might have some powers hidden in there. <laughs> but I think that uh, it is very much like a muscle. You know, right. and you can train it. You know, your mind works just like a muscle. You train it. You, if you study hard and you read and you, yeah. you use your mind, it becomes stronger and it grows with your knowledge and your your intelligence. Your body gets stronger when you train it and you push it. You become right. a better athlete. You can go longer, stronger, harder, faster. Yeah. I think that the ability to conceptualize something and then materialize it you know bring it to fruition is an ability some people are better at it than others mm -hmm. but just like anything it takes practice right and so i think that all of the visualization that i've been working on and the the mental faculties 
as well as the time that I put in the gym. Right, of course. The, the time that the I put physical, in. Of course, yeah, yeah, you can't have one without the other. Yeah. I remember my dad told me once about this study where they would take three groups of kids, A, B, and C. And uh, group A would spend like an hour a week or whatever it was just shooting basketballs. Okay. Group B spends that same hour just thinking about shooting basketballs. Yeah. And then group C does half and half. What group do you think does the best? Well, because I know similar studies, I would say group C, of course, because group B, I mean, I know you have actually a 22, there's been studies like a 22% increase in actual muscle growth from just visualizing it. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a, there's a book, uh, Joe Dispenza has a book called Becoming Supernatural. He goes through some of these studies. And yeah. So, yeah, but group C. Group yeah, C, yeah, and yes, absolutely. You know better than I, apparently, yeah. but it's, it's group <laughs> C, right? Um, shooting basketballs for an hour is a great way to get better at shooting basketballs. That's right. Um, thinking about shooting basketballs isn't going to hurt. In fact, apparently there is some physiological changes transpiring that, uh, and it actually doesn't surprise me because the mind and the body are connected. That's right. Um, but group C, the people that spend time physically working on it and then mentally thinking about how to improve mm. are always the ones that are going to perform across the board better. There's outliers right. for every group, of course, but consistently they're going to persistently hit higher marks. And, um... So, you know, I think about that and I think about these types of things all the time as far yeah. as how to improve the quality of my training. That's, you know? a, that's an important question. I don't think people ask a lot about training or life or anything. Sure. Quality. A lot quality. of times people think about quantity, right? Oh, I got to do more. I got to work harder. I got to grind this or that, you know, and not to say that that's wrong because it's not, but like, um, harder in different ways, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I used to have an old boss that I worked for, and he would always say, smarter, not harder, right? And I don't think he was the first person to coin right. that, but, right. you know, it's right, smarter, not harder. Why would you work harder when you could work smarter and, yeah. and kick, you know, if you could do it easier, yeah. why wouldn't you? There's actually a law um, called the law of accom accommodation. Um, <clears throat> I got this from Louis Simmons on Westside Barbo. Um, and if you do something at 90% or more for three weeks in a row, so if your intensity is at 90% or more for three weeks in a row, you're gonna go backwards. That's when you start overtraining or overdoing. You actually will start going backwards to your point. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. And you can overdo it, right? Yeah. For sure. Mentally yeah. too, that's how you have anxiety and stress. Like I mean that's how right? That's how we that's how you do it all the time. Hundred percent. And especially I think like doing what I'm doing now, you know, I can never like clock out, so to speak. It's always on your mind. You can never yeah. stop thinking about it and obsessing about it because there's somebody somewhere out there that's literally preparing to try and kill you. Yeah. So, you know, if that doesn't keep you up at night, I don't know what will. Do you feel like you're, you're like the breath, that, that box method is like how you kind of create all these, you know, visualization and manifestation and beliefs because there's a... I saw this uh, post by this doctor I follow, and he said, you know, your muscle, you breathe 2,000 times a day. You breathe 2,000 times a day, but no one ever focuses on breathing. Imagine ever. that, yeah. You know, but that's the most used muscle in your body. Right. And you don't even know, you're not even aware of it. Yeah. So, like, you're bringing attention to it and creating something from it. You're, like, slowing down space and time almost. Sure. And... You know, like I said, I learned that uh, from my yoga practice. I'm a right. big fan of hot yoga, mm -hmm. and it's a big part of uh, my training regimen and my training camps um, for the physical benefits, right. uh, for the weight loss benefits, 
the performative benefits, and then the mental, emotional, and psychological as well. Yeah. Because, you know, as I'm sure you know, that's a big component of yoga, breathing, mm -hmm. going inwardly into the body, um, you know, a lot of Eastern type of principles. Right. And uh, so with the breathing and the breath work, that is kind of, you know, you phrase that in a way that, that made me think about it differently, but I, I think that does kind of trigger and start to set off sort of the chain of events, the sequence of events for me, you know, because that is the first thing I do. I get right. my breath under control because there's uh, proven like physiological benefits Absolutely. to breath work. Your heart rate slows down. Yep. Uh, your blood pressure goes down. Your brain releases endorphins mm -hmm. uh, like serotonin and, and uh, things like that. Dopamine that make you relax, make you calm and confident and help you to stay in a place where you're going to execute better. When your heart rate go gets above a certain threshold, uh -huh. your motor skills as well as your mental faculties mm -hmm. become cut in half by about 50%. Yeah. So in order to be able to better think, better perform, and the sort keeping your heart rate under control is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. And my breath work is a big part of that. Yeah. So definitely um, it's it plays a large role in uh, my performance and execution when I'm going out there. Yeah, because what I, what I hear and what I see is I, I'm a big fan of breath work and meditation. I do a lot of it. And you know what, how I interpret it and what I, what I hear from you is like when we breathe and take that time, like that muscle, you're, you're creating space to where you have control of that emotional and your body's actions. No matter what happens, you have control of that. And you can create that gap of awareness emotionally like this. The more you do breath work, it's like, oh. Wait, I, so no matter if you get knocked down in a fight, no matter what, if you see, you're going to be able to see something slower because you're bringing all these physiological things down with your breath. Absolutely. You're able to create an emotional awareness. Like it's almost like you're knowing what happens outside of yourself in the fight. If you can tell me that's what it kind of feels like. Definitely. You a big uh, Wim Hof guy? Um, actually, I've never done any Wim Hof things. These are all things I've just uh, from reading. I've just kind of through self discovery process, but I've heard amazing things about Wim Hof. I know a lot of people that do it and can't stop talking about it. So if you want to tell me more about your practices with it or what you've experienced with it. Or well, I don't know Wim Hof. I wish I did. Right. <laughs> He's, he seems he like a great a cool story, cat. by the way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of his. And, uh, you know, I don't know how I stumbled upon him initially to the internet, I guess. But uh, I definitely like watching his stuff um, and practicing that type of, you know, breath work in all of my physical and mental training right. uh, for what it is that I do. Um, so definitely a big part of my regimen. I see now a lot of people too even have breath coaches, breathing coaches that work in the uh, the training room with them really? on like physical exercises that they can do to in increase lung capacity and, and things like that. Really? Yeah. No, that's super interesting. My, my big thing is like, creating to where no you have an internal world it's like you're almost like a third party observer to where like no matter for your example like you're in a fight or for my example in the military or whatever in extreme situations like i can actually think outside of what's happening to me so i can approach my fight in life or in a ring or in army or whatever from a greater a different perspective than what's you know bullets coming at me but I can think outside of the bullet coming at me in this just initial response. And I feel like breathwork creates that awareness for us to like have a different, a greater awareness, have a different decision-making process. And that's a whole nother level that you just touched on because, you know, for me, there's a referee that's going to step in there and, and call it if, yeah. if it goes sideways. But 
like you are out there on the front lines literally fighting for your country you got bullets flying at you it's there is no uh coming back from that you take a wrong right. step and that's that's that um thank you for your service oh thank you by man. the way my friend thank absolutely 100 percent. appreciate that yeah man. you're a hero for sure you. you know uh i get to do a bunch of cool podcasts and interviews and be on tv but you're like the real fucking rock star you know what i mean because <laughs> you, you're doing some real shit thank you yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a pretty pivotal point in my life and i really thanks just thank you 100 percent. thank you yeah. absolutely um I had aspirations at one point to be in armed forces. Really? Yeah, I was uh, like like 19, 20 years old. Yep. And um, like I said, I was really into running, and I got in a really good shape, and I was doing like 15-mile runs every day. And uh, I got the idea that I wanted to be a Navy SEAL, which uh -huh. <laughs> probably would have been a tough gig. I don't know how that would have worked out for me. But uh, So I went down to the recruiter's office, uh -huh. and I took like the ASVAB test. Right. I scored very high on it. Nice. They were uh, very keen on on getting me to join. They're like, you could literally do any job that you want. You could mm -hmm. pick any any position if you sign up. Right. And I was like, cool, let's do it. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, they do the background and stuff like that. Yeah. And I had just a bunch of stupid stuff like drunk in public. Yeah. DUI. You know, possession of marijuana. Just stupid stuff, but. Apparently, Armed Forces doesn't love that, and uh, <laughs> I was so on much. probation at the time for a DUI that I got when I was 19, 20 years old. Okay. So, you know, they you go on probation for like a year or something right. like that, and you have to do all kinds the of... classes and everything like that. Exactly. So, uh, they said, look, we want to have you join, but you can't join unless you get off probation. So, you're going to have to go see a judge and have them rescind the probation. So, I went, I filed my appointment i went stood in front of the judge i told him hey i want to be a united states navy seal uh i can't sign up until i'm removed from my probation and the judge said well i can't remove you from your probation unless i have some sort of assurance that you're going to be in the military and i said well, i can't <laughs> give you the assurance unless you remove it and well this drug deal is going sideways <laughs> exactly and the last thing that the judge says is well that's a real catch-22 for you then isn't it yeah denied and then, uh, you know, I had a ways to go on it. And uh, I ended up going in a different direction, obviously, right, yeah. in life. But, uh, yeah, at one point, I, I did I did have uh, similar goals and aspirations. But, uh, you know, didn't happen for me that way. But, yeah, again, thank you. Oh, no, because someone's got to do it, and you did. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, I always tell people, I don't. It's the, probably the best decision I ever made at 18. Kind of the same thing, man. Just getting in trouble. Just don't, don't, didn't want to go to college. 18-year-olds do. Yeah, you know, six, I, most of my trouble, I was like 14 to 17, most of my trouble. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, at 18, I was just like, what am I going to do? My dad's like, you, you know, my dad was like, 18, man, you're out of the house. Like, same. You know, that's, that. They're like, you got to go. Yeah. I'm like, well, well, I don't want to go to school. I know that. I know that. And so, yeah, I was like, well, you know what? For me, it was just like, you know. How, you know, I thought what a man should be. I want to go to war. 18, you want to experience all these things. You, you know, you built up this, at least for me, I built up this story in my mind of what it means to be a man, right? I think that all 18-year-old guys <laughs> have a very similar conception. Yeah. I would daydream about being a Navy SEAL, yeah. and, a, and I wasn't even training yet, but I would daydream about boxing. Yeah. Yeah, that was my conception of what it is to be like a masculine, right. you know, type of guy. So. Yeah. I can relate. Yeah, yeah. I think we. I think a lot of our decisions come from that, and then 
you know, hopefully, you know, I think times are changing and people are becoming more aware of like, you know, if you want to touch on it for a second, just like, I think, I think being a man is like being vulnerable, like putting yourself out there and saying, this is what I'm going to do. And I don't care who likes it, who doesn't like it, who I lose, but being a man is putting yourself out there and taking a stand for what you believe and taking care of those that, you know, your family and taking care of what you believe. And sometimes your family's not going to believe the same thing, you know? But I think being a man is about standing up for what you believe, no matter what you face. Absolutely. And, you know, no one more vulnerable than guys on the front line, of yeah. course, which is why so much respect to them. But I think, too, you know, to a much lesser extent in what I do, like you definitely make yourself vulnerable, quite literally, because you're vulnerable to serious injury. Yeah. On occasion, people do die in the squared circle, yeah. and it's tragic, but it's true. Yeah. And so it's something that we're all very aware of, and it's something I think about. Every time I step through the ropes, mm. I try to have that samurai type of mindset, right. you know, that like I might die today. And I, you know, like we discussed earlier, I have, I tell myself like, I'm willing to do it too, if yeah. it's going to get me the W and that might sound crazy to a lot of people, but if you do it, it makes sense. And, um, not only that, but being vulnerable because I, I'm not worried about injury, you yeah. know, like I said, I'll, I'll break this hand. If I win the fight and I'll have a smile on my face with that medal around my right. neck. And, you know, I have some really cool pictures of me and some of the other fighters who won. And we're all busted up and bloody yeah, and swollen yeah. and cut and stitched. Yeah. And we're just smiling ear to ear with our medals yeah. in hand. And, you know, I think that really encapsulates that moment. But on the other side of that, you know, only one person can win. And uh, the, my biggest fear in there is not getting hurt or injured, but getting like mentally emotionally hurt and injured in there and yeah. being embarrassed mm -hmm. and losing badly and looking badly yeah. you know being a highlight reel knockout loss is like literally my biggest nightmare just being some yeah. viral clip played forever the internet never forgets yeah. right so just being on loop forever boom getting yeah. blasted and iced you yeah. know that would be my biggest fear and so i think being vulnerable in that sense um, going out there for me is the hardest part and that's why it takes so much mental and emotional yeah. conditioning I'm not gonna lose today no matter what happens no matter what I hate I get hit within this fight I'm not gonna lose today yeah. you know training is one thing you know I don't always go into the training room with that type of mentality because I train to get better and to yeah. improve mm, that's but so important I think about training I think the misconception that you're supposed to be fight day during training I think I think that's you know and some people are that way and that yeah. works for them and more power to them, right. you know, so, um, and uh, there's a lot of different ways to win and perform mm -hmm. and be successful. Um, but, you know, ultimately, you know, I'm not here to be the training champion of the world. That's right. You know, I'm here yeah. to be the bare knuckle champion right. of the Game world. Day. Exactly. Right. And you don't win, you know, you don't win by getting the, the fight, knocking out your opponent in training. You, you win by getting the knockout at game day. Exactly. You know? So ultimately, you know, being the best version of myself and being prepared. And sometimes you do need to train like that so yeah, that it's not for the sure. first time you find yourself in that boat. For sure. You got to know what where you're gonna, what you what are you going to do when the shit hits the storm? You know? How's it going to feel? Yeah. Right? How are yeah. you going to respond? Are you going to be able to take it for sure? So yeah. there is a certain amount of that you need. But ultimately, on the night, you know, I've conditioned myself, you know, mentally, emotionally, as well as physically that no matter what happens, I'll do whatever it takes because yeah. I, I couldn't stand losing yeah. yeah and that's that's my mindset and my perception when i go in there um and uh 
so far it's been working. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. I think you. I think you. I think you're you're coming from a great space, man. Um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't to me, you know, it doesn't sound like you're coming from a space of lack. You're coming from a space of creativity. You're coming from a space of like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I believe in. And you're coming from that space. And I think when you come from that space, you're always successful one way or the other. And you're going to be led, you know, you can look at like your life and the synchronicities that's happened to this point. But I, and I feel like, you know, from the judge stamping a thing to you going into running to you, you know, watching that fight when you were five to now you having this mindset and breath work and everything. I think that that kind of creates, you know, a recipe for success, man. So I really do believe you're going to do great things. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah, man. So thanks for stopping by. And, uh, you know, man, I love you. And Likewise. Great yeah. to be here. Thank you for having me. Like I said, it's an honor to be the first guest on your yeah, podcast. Thanks. It's been so much fun. Yeah. I had a great time. Um, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, After my well, next one. Yeah, I would love. Where's your next fight at? Let's tell the people where, where your next fight's at. Right now, it's up in the air, but I'm hoping to f have something for the first quarter of 2022. So looking at like uh, January, February. Okay. Ideally, so like I said, I should be back to full training in another two weeks or so, and then uh, I'll be ready to go as soon as you know the new year gets here. All right, and is this uh, where can we watch this at? Is it always on the same network or is it different networks for Bare Knuckle? Yeah, Bare Knuckle TV app. Um, okay. you can download it on your phone or on your television, um, and it's got all the BKFC events content, okay? So you can check out my fights. Yeah, uh, I'm also featured on the uh, the Tampa tryouts my interview and okay. uh, some of my training footage on there um, as well so check that out uh, yeah bare knuckle FC largest bare knuckle fighting organization in the world fastest growing sport in the world also though I would argue the oldest sport in the world 783 or 86 Athens BC uh, tell me, tell me. Or, no, yeah, yeah, 783 BC, Athens, Greece, right? Olympic gladiators, okay. uh, Roman Colosseum, right? Like, people have been bare knuckle fighting since the dawn of yeah. mankind. So, uh, it, you know, it had been outlawed for 130 something years, I think, in the United States. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, it was the original boxing, it was outlawed in 1889. Okay. John L. Sullivan, the original heavyweight champion of the world, uh, Irish American immigrant, whiskey drinking, undefeated world champion, instituted the glove rules. They got rid of the old London Prize ring rules and instituted what's still known as the Queensbury rules. Okay. Very much the same rules as today: gloves, ring, ropes, padded right. canvas, referee, judges, time limit, um, decisions if no knockout. Right. And they outlawed bare knuckle fighting. 1889. In 2018, in the United States, BKFC sanctioned the first event in Wisconsin. Really? Okay. And it's now the uh, the premier league for bare knuckle fighting. It also has a huge presence in the United Kingdom, as it always has. It has a huge presence in Russia. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's only going to continue to blow up. You're seeing Jorge Masvidal has his game-bred FC MMA league now, okay. which is bare knuckle MMA. Oh, wow. Yeah, wild. Yeah, so, that, yeah that's, <laughs> that's going to be wild. Yeah, but so, yeah, check us out. The Bare Knuckle TV app for all your uh, Bare Knuckle okay. fighting needs. Yeah, definitely yeah. Gonna check that out and watch your next fight, man. I love to support you and you know send you good vibrations through the whole thing. And before we go, I got, how, Mark the Shark. How do we get Mark the Shark? How do we get the shark? Where did that come from? Uh, you know, I, I had to come up with something for my first amateur fight. You fill out a form and say uh -huh. you know name, 
age, blah, 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 weight, nickname. I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> you know, I remembered my dad calling me Mark the Shark as a little kid. Okay. So I just okay. Mark, I thought it sounded cool. It rhymed. Sharks yeah. are tough. Mark the Shark. Boom. Yeah, they bite your fucking head off. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for stopping by, Mark, man. Love to see you, man. We'll wish you best in the next fight and support you all the way. Thank you, brother. I right, appreciate man. you. Yeah.